the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's a fact. If the riches of the wealthy were suddenly given to the average American, the rich would have most of their wealth back in no time at all. Not because they're more deserved, but because they do a great job of getting us to spend it back to them. And once in their hands, they work it to their self-interest. The host of Get Rich Slow, Jim McAleese, believes the financial decisions you make today will guide your financial destiny tomorrow. Jim teaches you to plan for the worst and then hope for the best. America is under no obligation to provide what you need. Entitlements are out. Opportunity is today's watchword. Money matters can be intimidating, but they don't have to be. So start or supercharge your wealth-building plan now with Jim McAleese. You're a falling star. You're the getaway car. You're the light in the sand. Good morning and welcome to Get Rich Flow. This is your buddy Scope Financial Winner. Here we explore strategies to help you prosper. We look at the big picture and then develop plans to help guide our families to meet their financial goals. Get Rich Flow gives you solid financial strategies, strategies that will help improve your financial life. If you want the truth, not the hype, please join us for the next hour for Get Rich Slow. I'm Jim McAleese, Certified Financial Planner and President of Cornerstone Consultants Incorporated, where securities and investment advisory services are offered through Next Financial Group Incorporated, which is a member of FINRA and CIFIC. Cornerstone Consultants is not an affiliate of Next Financial Group. Well, good morning. When the snow fell about two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, I kind of lost track. The fields and the lawns looked beautiful. You know, they would look like something out of a Christmas card. Everything looked clean and white and sparkling. You know, when the sun hits it, it's absolutely beautiful. Every other day, we seem to be getting a little bit more snow. It's as if old man winter, he wants to keep freshening up his snowscape. You know, just a little bit here, a little bit there. Not enough to, uh, you know, to clog up the roads or anything like that. But it it makes the the snowscape look even better. And this week we have more snow scheduled. And the temperatures are due to remain below freezing both day and night. So none of our beautiful snowscape will disappear anytime soon. (laughs) Well, it's. It's beautiful to look at when the, when the sun is shining, but, you know, this is a little bit uh, getting us into the cabin fever type thing. Well, all of this, all of this has been wonderful, but I'm thinking about a change of pace now. I'm thinking about maybe spring. I'm looking forward. And we are over halfway through winter now, 
I think we're we're into the seventh or eighth week of winter, and we have got about five weeks left. And spring is just over a month away. But we should see, start to see the temperatures moving up into the 40s and maybe in two or three weeks. So we do have something to look forward to. Now is the time to start getting in shape. And with some maybe some uh, long walks or bike rides, if you can find the, uh, uh, you know, the dry surfaces to walk on, you know, the hibernation is getting to be... Uh, over, and here's an opportunity to get ready for the real spring so that we can be in shape for those rides and walks and stuff like that. And focusing our attention on something closer to hand, time-wise, tomorrow is Valentine's Day. So those who planned ahead, they're ready for that special day. We warned you about it last weekend, and those who didn't, they'll, they'll be scrambling. And in addition, Monday is President's Day in honor of both President uh, George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. A well-deserved day off for some lucky people. The stock and bond markets will be closed Monday. And uh, while we're relaxing, uh, we should start thinking about our financial future. Uh, Maybe we should beef up our savings plan. If anything, uh, this pandemic has showed us is that you should have an emergency fund, because things can happen right out of nowhere. This was something right out of nowhere that affected the entire world, but uh, it's a lot more, it's a lot easier for something to come into our personal lives out of nowhere with no warning at all. So you should have that savings plan or emergency fund, and we should better define our financial goals and how how we're going to afford them. That means sitting down, First, by yourself in in thinking about these goals, and then with your spouse, and then with the family, and uh, uh, starting to lay out what you're going to do uh, for uh, the basically the rest of your life. You know, all you're doing is talking about thinking and planning and talking, and there's nothing written in the rocks. This is just a formulation of the plan and definition and uh, identifying the the outline of it. So then, if you take a look and see what happened this week in the equity markets, equity markets were uh, generally positive again this week. You know, they were uh, really positive last week. Uh, You know, uh, this week, Friday, uh, the Standard & Poor 500 and the NASDAQ uh, both set uh, record-closing highs on Friday. So uh, it was a good week, and it's been a good couple weeks now. And while the earnings results and the economic reports this week were solid, the economy and the equity markets were really buoyed up by two things. One was the increasing realistic expectation of the $1.9 trillion uh, fiscal stimulus package. That will be arriving soon, probably by mid-March. Uh, basically in time to continue the unemployment bonus uh, benefits due to expire then. In other words, that bill that was passed uh, just before the end of the year, uh, that $900 billion bill that they negotiated from June, I think it was, until December, uh, that contains money for uh, continuing the 
federal part of the unemployment uh, benefit. So, and that expires in the middle of March. So, I expect that this this one point nine trillion dollar fiscal stimulus will happen uh, before then, and uh, or maybe even sooner, depending upon how fast the uh, budget reconciliation process works. So, it looks as if uh, that's the way that the administration is going to administration and Congress is going to handle this one point nine trillion. There was much talk about uh, bipartisanship early on, but uh, uh, it looks as if uh, the the uh, numbers are going to happen with the one point nine by mid mid March. Uh, the other big thing that's blowing up this market is the uh, renewed expectation of continuing decreases in the COVID. In other words, basically what we're seeing is uh, the vaccinations are picking up. Um, we are farther away from the holidays. So what we're seeing is that the number of cases is going down. Uh, and that's due to, it's part of it, I'm sure, due to uh, the decrease in the, uh, the high points that we saw in the in the holiday season, but another big part of it has got to be these uh, vaccinations. And a month ago, the new uh, uh, new cases of COVID per day were averaging around 225,000 per day, and now that's down to about an average of uh, 100,000 uh, cases per day. And a big part of this is due to the vaccinations and the vaccinations. Uh, that's increased to 1.66 million vaccinations per day. And so far, we've vaccinated uh, 50 million people and that uh, have received uh, mostly one shot. Some of the people have gotten the two shots. But basically what you're seeing there is that uh, uh, they're improving. If you take a look at the, that's not to say that they're at the final goal yet, because in uh, when you take a look at the supply and the inoculations, what you're seeing is that the uh, Pfizer uh, BioNTech, that's one group, and they're supplying uh, 200 million uh, doses, 100 million in the first quarter. And that ends at the end of uh, March, and the other 100 million uh, doses by the end of uh, May. And the same thing with the Moderna. Moderna is looking at uh, 100 million uh, doses per quarter, and uh, uh, for the first quarter, and another 100 million for the second quarter. So basically, they were under contract for 400 million. Uh, uh, doses. Now, uh, the administration has talked to them and, and increased their uh, contracts. There was options in their contracts, so they increased the contracts to 100 million each. Uh, so both Moderna and uh, Pfizer, uh, now their contracts total at uh, 300 million uh, doses. So um, the majority of those doses will be uh, in the in distribution by uh, the end of May. So the the inoculation, uh, and then before I leave that, and then Johnson & Johnson with their one-dose uh, inoculation, uh, 
they presented their data to the government, and uh, uh, they're expecting uh, uh, approval within the month. So that'll be an extra uh, vaccine and uh, uh, supply that'll be available. And the the idea here is that you're going to be you're going to between Pfizer and uh, Moderna, you're going to have uh, basically 2.2 million doses per day that are going to be available uh, from now until basically it's done, and uh, until maybe July. We know the uh, uh, with uh, Johnson and Johnson coming on board, there might be even more supply. So. Basically, we're looking at uh, the supply of the vaccines is going to run at about 2.2 million doses per day. The inoculations are running at 1.6 or 1.7 million doses per day. So basically what the uh, governors and uh, uh, the federal government have to do is pick up the pace from the 1.7 to the uh, doses per day to the 2.2, which is certainly doable. Uh, you know, they've got um, uh, centers where they're vaccinating people. They've got drugstores that are vaccinating people. Uh, they'll probably have uh, uh, companies. I saw Honeywell was vaccinating their people uh, in on the shop floor. Uh, so there's all sorts of ways to get this uh, vaccine out there. And it's basically happening. So I think part of this is due to people expect the COVID uh, to start to uh, dissipate. And by the, uh, oh, it should start to, it's starting to dissipate now. And it should really pick up speed as we get into the summer. And uh, those in, these are the the two big picture items, the stimulus and the uh, uh, the uh, overpowering of the uh, pandemic. And uh, if you take a look at the uh, stimulus, the stimulus is going to give a, a big shot in the arm. And this is one of the things that uh, we were concerned about, or not we as so much as uh, uh, the economists were concerned about in terms of saying, uh, we have uh, uh, all this money uh, flowing around, and what's it going to do to inflation? And by all this money, I mean uh, we just passed the $900 billion uh, stimulus at the end of uh, December, and now we're going to have the $1.9 trillion, which has $465 billion. It will go out in uh, checks for $1,400 uh, each to uh, to uh, citizens. And uh, then you have the aid to states and local governments, and that's worth $350 billion. And uh, I've never really seen a breakdown of uh, which states get what. Uh, then you have also the another big item uh, for $350 billion is the extension of the uh, uh, the federal government's unemployment benefits. In other words, those people that are on unemployment, they get both, uh, if they're on the state unemployment, they get their usual state unemployment plus uh, a bonus. I don't know whether it's three or $400 a week extra from the federal government. 
Plus, the federal government's got has programs for those people that are in the gig economy or those people that aren't in the state unemployment uh, system because they're working part time and things of this, things of this nature. And then you also have uh, you've got the aids to schools, and the aids to schools is amounting to about 170 billion, and that's kind of a uh, a crossover into uh, both of the uh, the uh, COVID situation too. There's 170 billion dollars for schools, and the government has just indicated that uh, the the, the uh, danger to uh, COVID with regard to school age children is such a at a such a level that uh, they're advocating opening the schools with certain uh, restrictions, i.e. Uh, where everybody wears masks, everybody uh, tries to stay apart from each other, and the classrooms are basically uh, organized into organized such that the children aren't uh, all over the place, that they stick in their, they stay in their groups. So then you got $160 billion to speed up the vaccine production and also uh, testing and tracking. So, uh, you know, this week, uh, the, the Department of Labor, they published their consumer's price uh, index report for January. And investors have been expecting to see signs of inflation, you know, due to all this fiscal stimulus packages. We've got uh, $4 trillion in uh, 2020. Uh, we've got uh, another $1.9 trillion expected by uh, mid-March or early 2021. In addition, the uh, uh, the monetary stimulus uh, from the Federal Reserve is still helping the big businesses. In other words, they're basically uh, purchasing, they purchase bonds and everything else, and to the tune of... Uh, uh, they keep the interest rates low. The Federal Reserve is uh, purchasing eighty billion dollars per month of treasuries and forty billion dollars uh, per month of uh, mortgage-backed securities from Fannie and Freddie. So, all of this stimulus uh, led people to think that uh, inflation is going to pick up. Well. Uh, the report, while showing that some prices went up, such as apparel and medical care and shelter, they went up a little bit. Other prices went down, uh, airline fares, recreation, used cars, uh, those prices went down. And basically, the results from the uh, Consumer Price Index, hey, they were basically unamazing. You know, they were just, okay, uh, January. The uh, consumer price index increased three tenths of a percent per month, and uh, increased 1.4 percent over the last 12 months. And uh, if you take a look back and say, "Okay, well, uh, how does that compare to last month?" Uh, well, last month uh, the consumer price index had increased four tenths of a percent in the uh, the month. So. Uh, the price increase in December was greater than it was in January. So uh, what we're seeing here is that if we take out the uh, the uh, core, uh, we take out the uh, food and fuel, 
we get down to what they call the core CPI. The core CPI doesn't didn't show any change at all in January, and uh, over the last 12 months, it uh, appeared as 1.4 percent. Well, last month, uh, uh, the core uh, consumer price index uh, over the last over the preceding 12 months was 1.6 percent. So the inflation indicator even went down. So if you get into the report, what you see is that the January uh, consumer price index increases three-tenths of uh, 1% for January was almost entirely due to a increase in gasoline prices for January. There was a 7.4% increase in gasoline prices during January. And then that's that's not to say that yeah, we can also see, uh, you know, these are in the, in the consumer price index. We're looking at uh, a basket of goods that the consumer uh, uses consistently, and uh, each item in that basket is assigned a number, like basically like thirty uh, percent of the, or maybe even more of the consumer price index is shelter. In housing, and fourteen uh, percent of the uh, uh, consumer price index is food, and uh, I think about eight percent is uh, energy. So uh, you look at that, and it's hardly moving at all. You know, there's not any indication that uh, uh, inflation is uh, doing anything. Uh, then we take a look at other things around here, and we see uh, housing prices are increasing. We see our uh, uh, equities increasing. Uh, uh, you know, it's one of those things where the financial assets uh, seem to be increasing, but the consumer price index, uh, you know, the weekly consumer price index doesn't seem to be... A, being affected by these uh, stimulus payments at all. We'll talk about the details of that later in the show. So in addition, uh, the labor situation is improving a little bit at a time. Uh, although we still have 10 million people unemployed, you know, the pandemic, when it hit in uh, February, uh, that basically shut the entire economy down for uh, two months. If you take a look at what happened during uh, the March and April time frame, you see that 20 million people uh, were let go. And since that particular time, since let's call it May, uh, 10 million people have uh, uh, basically recovered their jobs. Uh, they either went back to their former employer or they found another employer, but that still leaves uh, another 10, 10 million people that are still out there. And uh, the Federal Reserve has indicated that they want to stay with their particular uh, low interest rates until they get up to a reasonably full employment. So uh, the Department of Labor this week reported that the initial claims for unemployment benefits uh, fell 19,000 to uh, 793,000 last week. That's well uh, uh, below the early January peak that exceeded 900,000. So 
we are moving in the right direction. It's just the very fact that uh, we've got a long way to go. Uh, one catalyst for the recent labor market improvement is the latest round of government aid, including the uh, the second start of the payroll protection plan. If you recall, the last year in in March, that uh, CARES program that uh, instituted the payroll protection plan, where uh, approximately five hundred billion dollars was uh, loaned out to uh, employers with a provision that those loans would be canceled if they used that money to pay their workers and pay their rent and pay their utilities. So that was a lot of my clients used that particular program. I advise them to uh, go down to their local bank, take their uh, accountant with them and uh, sit down there and go over their numbers and their payroll. And a lot of them were, uh, well, all of them, Basically, we're capable of of uh, getting loans of approximately uh, uh, three times their uh, monthly payroll, uh, and it was very very helpful in getting the keeping the team together uh, until the uh, the COVID or until the uh, uh, the restrictions lifted up until they could get back to work. Now, there the uh, the the AIDS program that was passed in December, uh, that had another $300 billion contained for the uh, payroll protection plan. So you're seeing uh, part of this uh, increased or decreased unemployment is basically due to uh, that payroll protection plan. And uh, uh, to me, that this is uh, one of the things we're seeing in terms of um, anything that is necessary to get the people back to work is basically being tried. Uh, the labor market, uh, uh, also there was another report that showed that the uh, more job openings in December. If you recall, December was a terrible month for uh, employment. Employment dropped uh, dramatically in December. And according, but according to the Department of Labor in their JOLTS report, uh, they say that the number of job openings in December increased to six million six hundred and forty-six thousand. Which basically, uh, I interpret it is that uh, the the big companies are flush with cash. Uh, they're they know the economy is going to recover. And even though they might, uh, in the short term, lay off people, they're still le- they're still work- looking for those workers that fulfill their uh, requirements. So they're still out there. The jobs are available to the people that have the uh, skills necessary. So uh, this is, you know, when we look at the big picture, what we're seeing is that the two big items that are that are driving this whole thing is that uh, it's not the economic picture so much as the uh, COVID, the very fact that uh, people expect to get out of this COVID situation in the summer, and together with the very fact that uh, the governments are providing, government and the Federal Reserve are providing the stimulus necessary to uh, keep the 
keep the families together in terms of uh, either unemployment insurance or uh, or uh, payroll protection plans to keep the people employed. So uh, altogether, it looks promising. It looks as if, hey, the, the, there's a lot of money out there, and when things begin to move, they really begin to move. Uh, and, you know, they really step out. So this is Jim McAleese. You're, list- you're listening to Get Rich Slow. You can give us a call over at our toll-free number. It's 1-888-281-1110. That's 1-888-281-1110. Just give us a call. Tell us about what you're seeing, what you're seeing out there and what your financial plan uh, consists of, and whether you have any questions with regard to uh, what's going on or questions with regard to your specific plan. So um, stay tuned. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. Hi, this is Colleen, producer of Get Rich Slow. Each week we take calls from people just like you that have questions for our host, Jim McAleese. Oftentimes, Jim can't answer the questions in depth because of time restraints or the need for more detailed information. That's why we encourage you to call Cornerstone Consultants, Inc., the financial counseling service founded by Jim and Tama McAleese. Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. has helped thousands of clients get more for their money. Whether your financial goal is to avoid common investing mistakes, buying your next home, planning for retirement, finding that right mutual fund, or covering your assets with the right kind of insurance, Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. will guide you to wise financial choices. So call Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. for an appointment today at 440-647-2793. That number again, 440-647-2793. Now back to more Get Rich Slow. Welcome back to Get Rich Slow. This is your host this morning, Jim McAleese. You can give us a call. We have our toll-free number. It's 1-888-281-1110. Be glad to talk to you about any questions you have with regard to your financial plan, uh, your retirement, uh, your um, emergency savings plan, uh, your uh, Basically, your your outline of, of uh, how you're going to uh, get from here to uh, 85, 95 years old. So, uh, and also uh, uh, anything you you have with regard to uh, what we've been saying so far here in terms of your feelings. Uh, Colleen, did we have a question there? I saw a light. Yes, we did. Carol gave us a call. Um, and she wants to know, are the rules for the Roth IRA and a Roth 401k alike? Or is it really the name that they have in common? Uh, okay. There's a lot of differences. You know, the, the basic uh, connection between the 401k and the IRA is that uh, 
the contributions to the plan are made in after-tax dollars. So in your usual uh, IRA, what they call the traditional IRA, uh, you deduct uh, the uh, and your 401k, both of those. Uh, you put the money into the plan, and uh, you take a deduction on your taxes. So basically the money that went into the plan is uh, uh, pre-tax. Uh, dollars. Uh, the idea being that when you take the money out, uh, the government wants their share of that those taxes, so you're going to pay the taxes at the end. Now, the Roth, on the other hand, you pay your taxes uh, before you go in. That's true for both the IRA and the 401k, and uh, there are uh, quite a bit of differences. Uh, for instance, like the Roth IRA, uh, that has an income limit, for instance, like uh, uh, for, I don't know whether it's for singles, but for married filing jointly, uh, you can contribute uh, if you make up to $208,000 and uh, you're not eligible uh, if you make uh, more than that particular amount for a Roth uh, IRA contribution. And then you can... Uh, Contributions are limited in $6,000 per year, or if you're over 50, age 50 or over, you can bump it up another $1,000 to $7,000. So you got both the uh, the income uh, restriction as well as the, uh, the contribution limit. Now, in the case of the 401k, uh, both of those disappear. In other words, uh, people, there's no income limit on it. You're part of a plan, a 401k, a Roth 401k plan, and uh, uh, doesn't make any difference how much you're making. The, you can contribute up to the maximum annual contribution of the uh, 401ks, which is 19500 uh, plus another 6500 uh if you're 55 or older by the end of the uh, year. So to me, a big difference in who can contribute and uh, how much they can contribute. And also, uh, uh, you can take a loan out. For instance, like your 401ks, uh, you can can take a loan if you need it. The the limits are basically, uh, I think they're 50% of the value of the uh, uh, account you can borrow uh, for the uh, uh, 401k. Uh, the, the IRAs you can never uh, borrow against. You cannot take a loan out against a uh, an IRA from an IRA. So, uh, so basically, the uh, uh, the Roth IRA also has greater flexibility and and pre-retirement withdrawals. You can withdraw, uh, uh, for instance, if you put your money into a Roth IRA and you find out that you need that that money later and you can withdraw an amount equivalent to the contribution you made in after-tax dollars. So uh, you cannot, uh, the restrictions in the, in the case of the Roth IRA are really on the earnings. In other words, if you touch the earnings, if you say, uh, I put $10,000 in, in this Roth IRA, and it's grown to $15,000. And you can always reach in 
and get the $10,000 of uh, after-tax money that you put in there without any penalties or taxes or anything like that. If you start to get into the uh, extra $5,000 that you made, which could be that you would consider earnings from those $10,000, then there are restrictions on that. So then you're going to uh, perhaps uh, you then you're going to be starting to pay taxes on uh, the earnings, and uh, so uh, there uh, there are differences. You know, uh, one big advantage with the Roth IRA is that you don't have to take um, required minimum distributions, uh, whereas in the case of the Roth 401k. You do have to take required minimum distributions once you reach the age of uh, 72. So, uh, you know, of course, you, you in that case, if you're taking the Roth 401k, if you are taking the required minimum distributions, you you just take the money and uh, out of that particular program, you don't have to pay taxes on it, but uh, you do have to take the money out. So that's basically the difference in the... Uh, uh, it's. Uh, yeah, I'm sure that you can find a place in your uh, financial planning. Um, maybe for both, there are places for both the 401k, which is uh, Roth 401k, which is basically dependent upon what your employer provides in terms of uh, uh, retirement plans. And of course, there's also advantages to the uh, Roth IRA. So, uh, have any other questions, Carol? Uh, uh, you're probably driving right now or doing something that you can't talk. So, uh, if, if there's any other questions, just give us a call. Our toll free number is 1 888 281 1110. Stay tuned. I'll be right back. Welcome back to Get Rich Flow. This is your host this morning, Jim McAleese. You can give us a call. Our toll-free number is uh, 1-888-281-1110. To me, uh, now's the time to, to, you know, after we got hit with this COVID thing, now's the time to sit down and and really think about uh, protecting, you know, yourself. And your family, and your uh, your system of uh, your system of living, really. In other words, basically, you've got your your family, your house, your your uh, employment, and uh, what you have to do is sit down and, and, and lay it out in your lay it out on the piece of paper that uh, what you expect to do, when you expect to retire. Uh, start to think about those things that are involved with everything you do. You know, the uh, college savings the uh, for the kids, the uh, uh, the health insurance plans, the um, the uh, Medicare plans. The, you know, when you're 
uh, when can you retire, the rules and regulations for Social Security. Um, you can get uh, uh, Medicare when you're when you're 65, but your full retirement age is probably right now. It's probably about 66 in some months. So, and then you have your spousal insurance. Your your spouse has health insurance where. Uh, your spouse works, or you covered under that, or you each have individual plans. All these are open issues that have to be addressed. And uh, uh, there's there's a, a multitude of issues that when you sit down and you start to talk about what has to be uh, paid for in advance, just like retirement has to be paid for in advance, uh, you can't take any loans out for uh, for retirement. So what you're faced with is uh, uh, setting aside your uh, after tax after uh, you know after tax income and allocating it uh, to different funds uh, and watching them uh, making decisions with regard to their growth. What your how aggressive you're going to be. Uh, it's always a function of basically how, where you want to go and how much money you actually need there, plus your, your own personal temperament. And you basically go along and you say, okay, uh, so much to this, so much to that. And then you spend some time, uh, each month, uh, taking a look and saying, well, how did we do? Uh, are we on course? Are we on we laid out a map. Uh, we're going to go from here to there, and are we still on the road, or are we off in the bushes somewhere? And uh, then you have to take the time to get yourself, if you're in the bushes, you have to take the time to get yourself back on the road and get yourself straightened out again. So uh, to me, it's a, it's a lifetime task, but it's not, it's not uh, uh, that all time-consuming, and it's basically... Um, rewarding in a sense that you have the security and the knowledge that you know that uh, where you're going and where you how you're going to get there uh, you're have generate the confidence with how things are going that, that you made good decisions and you corrected bad decisions and you put yourself in a posture where uh, you can, make decisions with regards to the allocation of your monies uh, because you know where the money should go. In other words, if you have, uh, uh, you see something that really tickles your fancy in terms of uh, vacation homes or uh, boats or whatever uh, uh, your interests are, then you can sit down and uh, determine. where does it fit? Does it fit? And if it requires giving up something, uh, the education of the children or uh, security in your retirement, then you have the numbers and the uh, the planning capability to be able to make those decisions. And once you made them, it's not a matter of, hey, you know exactly why you made them. It's not just a matter of uh, flipping a coin. Uh, so. That's part of the, uh, you know, part of the time we should spend in the, uh, 
while we're in this uh, hibernation phase during the COVID uh, situation to think about our lives, our financial lives, how we're going to ensure that we're moving in the right path, and then how do we make sure that we're protected as we move along this path in terms of emergency funds, in terms of life insurance, in terms of health insurance, in terms of uh, uh, in terms of just about everything. Not only do you have to plan out the path, you have to make sure that there aren't things that uh, unforeseen circumstances that could derail your plan. So then you could move along your plan with some confidence and uh, realize that you're protected too. So one of the things that uh, uh, this week, you know, when we take a look in, in terms of the big picture, the economy, uh, what we do is uh, look at uh, the, uh, let's say, the consumer price index. I talked about that a little while ago. And basically what you're seeing is that the Department of Labor puts out their consumer price index for January and Basically, what the the essence of the whole thing was, uh, uh, there was a big jump in gasoline prices, and the uh, 7.4%, and basically that uh, was the reason for the the change in the consumer price index. In other words, according to their report, the Department of Labor reported that the consumer price index for all urban consumers increased three tenths of a percent in January uh, over the last 12 months. The all item, what they call the all item, is uh, doesn't it includes both food and fuel, which are eliminated when you're talking about another uh, consumer price index, and that's the core consumer price index. So the all item. Uh, increased 1.4% in the last uh, 12 months. And according to the numbers, the gasoline prices increased uh, 7.4% in January, and that accounted for most of the increase in the uh, index, the total index. Although the indices for electricity and natural gas declined, the energy index rose three and a half percent for the month. Now, for the entire year, the energy index went down three and a half percent, too. So the food index, which uh, we talked about uh, last month, that hardly moved Uh, in January. The food index rose slightly, increasing one-tenth of one percent, and the majority of that was accounted for from foods away from home. Uh, the uh, index of all items, less food and fuel, were unchanged. They were zero in uh, January. So uh, what you saw was that apparel, medical care, shelter, and motor vehicles, uh, motor vehicle insurance increased for the month, but then uh, uh, used cars, trucks, airline fares, and new vehicles their prices all declined. So the core, uh, the core uh, CPI for for uh, uh, less food and fuel that was 1.4 percent, and that was a smaller increase than the 1.6 percent over the last 12 months 
that ended in uh, December. So uh, if we take a look at it, we don't see anything that would indicate that uh, inflation is uh, rearing uh, its ugly head in any way, shape, or form. Uh, What we're seeing is basically uh, uh, services where uh, 60% of the money is spent. Uh, Basically, uh, uh, over the last 12 months, that's been about 1.3%, increased 1.3%. So the numbers indicate a big... Big nothing with regard to uh, talking about um, uh, inflation. Another thing let's talk about is what we're seeing in terms of the uh, small business. The National Federation of Independent Business reports uh, that came out uh, a few days ago, and uh, I'll read from the uh, their commentary in their particular report that talks about how the small business owners are reacting to this uh, COVID situation. And, uh, quote, January came in with a whisper, whimper, came in with a whimper as consumer spending uh, tailed off sharply at the end of uh, 2020. Uh, You know, that was because of the restrictions and the COVID and all the rest of the stuff, leaving spending 2.5% below levels at the start of uh, the year and last year. And uh, GDP did not do any better. That ended up up 3.5% below the 2019 peak. Still, uh, that represents a remarkable recovery from the plunge in uh, gross domestic product in uh, the second quarter of uh, 2020. Workers became unemployed, 10 million were recovered, and the other 10 million remain unemployed going into 2021. And uh, it says that uh, small firms, they're trying to figure out how to operate in the quote now situation, adjusting operations to stay open and seizing upon any opportunities to grow. Hiring is good for those in the less restrictive. Industries that means anything other than uh, uh, restaurants and uh, theater and sports and airline travel and hotels, and uh, where consumers spending is strong. That's in the manufacturing and and uh, uh, business operations, business management, and also uh, all the other things that are basically apart from and not affected by the COVID. However, the future is not so rosy for many small firms with expectations for business conditions and real sales are basically in the tank. Uh, Important activities like capital spending, that's depressed. Uh, Measures of applications for new business permits, that's strong, but uh, we'll see how many of these uh, new businesses survive. And... uh, with a new administration rolling out its policies, many important factors, taxes, government payments, uh, they're still up in the air. So the administration is moving quickly, but uh, uh, owners uh, uh, will need a much clearer picture of the future business environment 
as soon as possible. Until then, the economy has enough momentum to keep moving forward with construction and manufacturing leading the way, and this will provide uh, needed support for the new firms as well as the survivors. In other words, it's basically a picture of, hey, uh, we're down here, we're, we're surviving. Uh, if you're not in the restaurant or the sports or the theaters, uh, you're probably doing okay, but if you're involved in those particular areas, uh, those particular areas will not come back until uh, the uh, second quarter of this year. And that's after the after the pandemic, uh, you know, gives up the uh, gives up all these restrictions, and we can get back to being normal again. So basically, uh, they're going to they're going to work as hard as they can and do as much as they can. But to me, it's all a uh, it's going to be a tough road to to hold to get to the. Uh, get to the fall of this year when things begin to open up again. I did make some comments early on about the job openings. And what you're seeing in the job openings reports is you're seeing progress. You're seeing a lot of jobs posted. But I think a lot of the jobs that are being posted are basically uh, companies looking forward to the recovery later later this year. In other words, they're basically sending out uh, job openings, looking for uh, openings in manufacturing, uh, warehousing, and uh, all sorts of activities uh, to make sure, you know, healthcare, uh, for instance, they've got uh, in healthcare, they got uh, 1,165,000 job openings. But in terms of the number of hires, in uh, in uh, uh, September, or in terms of December, there were only 625,000. So they're basically putting out the job offers to see if they they can get uh, the best of the, the the pick of the litter, so to speak. And uh, in cases of uh, leisure and hospitality, what you're seeing is that a number of separations in, in the hospitality. You're into the you're into the 1.6 uh, million uh, category in terms of separations, and hires are in the number of about 750,000. So you see, you're looking at construction. Construction's doing great. Manufacturing doing great. Trade and transportation doing great. Professional business services. Uh, healthcare always does great, and uh, the places that are getting pounded to bits are are the uh, the leisure and the uh, the hospitality and uh, uh, that's gonna that's gonna keep up until uh, basically we see uh, uh, the end of the covid situation and that should happen in the middle of the summer or basically late in or in the fall so hopefully early in the fall not late in the fall and this week was a good for the uh, equities as I mentioned the standard report Closed at uh, three thousand nine hundred thirty-four point eight three. Well, it was up one point two percent for the week, and last week it was up four point six percent. So this is Jim McAleese. Stay tuned. I'll be right back. 
Welcome back to Get Rich Slow. What day is tomorrow? Don't say Sunday. Uh, tomorrow is Valentine's Day. If you, if you, you better, if you've got a gift, you're in good shape. If you don't, you're in trouble. There's still time to prepare a special gift, a gift that will say that you're thinking about your Valentine and you're, and they're the center of your life. This includes Valentines who've been together for a long, long time. Who is your Valentine? Who is your sweetheart? A sweetheart is someone you could write a book about, the one you love to be with and the one you hate to be without. A sweetheart understands your moods and laughs at things you say and sees you when you're in your worst and loves you anyway. A sweetheart is a knowing look, a hand within your own, a voice you always want to hear when you pick up the phone. A sweetheart is the one you kiss and make up with again and when there's a little difference of opinion now and then. A sweetheart is that someone you're always thinking about. So, today, plan your Valentine's Day and make it special. And make it something you can remember. Maybe even spend some time tomorrow thinking about that first trip or vacation you'll take after we get out of the COVID. So until we meet again, may God protect you and keep you safe. You have been listening to Get Rich Slow with host Jim McAleese. For an outline and registration form regarding the Money School series, call 440-647-2793. For a complete list of books written by Tama McAleese, call 440-647-2793. Or to make an appointment with Jim regarding your own personal financial issues, call 440-647-2793. Jim will be back with Get Rich Slow next Saturday morning on 1420 WHK with more common sense finance strategies for financial winners. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Next Financial Group, Inc., a member of FINRA and SIPC. Cornerstones Consultant, Inc. is not an affiliate of Next Financial Group, Inc.